Good morning, Chapel Hill. Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge Potluck. On your way out today, you can grab one, two, five of these, take them home, fill them to the brim with food when you come back in two weeks for the Teen Challenge service and potluck, okay? Just a reminder, they're available on your way out today. That's that. Bibles, you are going, don't use that one. Uh, you are going to need your Bibles, so go ahead and get your Bibles out. Open up your Bible apps. If you do not have a Bible with you, put your hand up, and we will give you one that you can follow along in. And if you are receiving one of the Bibles that our ushers are handing out, and you currently do not have a Bible of your own, please just take the one that you receive with you. It's yours. Um, all right. Um, thank you, Annie, very much for sharing with us about Arrive Ministries. Uh, my wife and I have a long history with Arrive. Um, we served with them years ago while we were attending Bethany Global University. We helped a Haitian family get settled here in Minnesota. And now our community group, the West Community Group, has come alongside an Ethiopian family um, to encourage and walk with them as they adjust. And as you heard, um, we as a church are going to gather and donate a whole pile of items uh, to Arrive to help, that, uh, to help refugee families get settled into new lives here. And I would encourage you to learn more about Arrive and how you can get involved personally. Go talk to Annie after the service out in the lobby. Uh, look on our slat board out there. There are some other things there that you can take with you that'll give you a little more information about Arrive, but it's a great thing for us to partner with. Um, I also want to just state my gratitude for Justin Hazlett, who spoke here last Sunday. Uh, Legacy Refuge does amazing work and is certainly a critical ministry in Ukraine these days um, in uh, helping aid um, orphans and uh, go through the whole adoption process and all that. If, if you were not there to catch his message last week, I would encourage you um, to go online, go to our Facebook page or YouTube channel and check out that message. It was great to hear from him. Uh, last weekend for me was spent with a busload of teenagers from Chapel Hill Church and the brave team of leaders that accompanied them, um, for which I'm very grateful. We all went up to Trout Lake Camp for a youth retreat for the weekend up there, and God was busy there. Uh, it was a great weekend of bonding and learning and growing and listening and enjoying the beauty of what God does through events like youth retreats, which are really significant. Um, if you are not already doing this, will you just make a note to yourself to add our teenagers to your prayer list? Be praying for our teenagers. Um, you know the challenges that teens face these days. It is significant. All right, back to the subject of prayer. Uh, we have spent the last couple months working through just some of what God has shown us and taught us about our union with him and how we can deepen that union with God through prayer. Um, we've looked at all kinds of different things. We've been challenged by the word uninterrupted. We are to pray without ceasing. And that is no small task, but God has been showing us and growing us a lot when it comes to prayer. As I get going this morning, um, I want to remind you of, or maybe introduce you to, some of the opportunities that exist here at Chapel Hill Church to engage with God in prayer, both on your own and with others. Um, certainly, you don't need to be provided with opportunities to engage with God on your own. He's with you always, everywhere. You're always engaged with him, and we just need to deepen that connection. 
But there are things that we can do and are doing as a church to enhance our prayer life as a church. So every Wednesday evening, we have a group here at the church that gathers to pray. They pray for the prayer requests that are generated on Sunday mornings like this. When you do that on your connection card or online, they pray for the church. They pray for specific ministries. They pray for a lot of things. Um, On Wednesday evenings, we also have our weekly kids club. And so this place is filled with people already. If you bring your kids to clubs, or even if you don't, this is a great opportunity to join with others in the Chapel Hill Church family and pray. Uh, If you bring your kids, stick around and pray for as long as you can. Or if you come here on a Wednesday, and maybe you come in bearing one of life's burdens, and it is weighing you down, and you know you'd be encouraged by having someone pray for you or pray with you, you can do that. You can just stop by the prayer room, which is just right out here and to the left in the hall, and there will be someone there that will pray with you. Um, Take advantage of that. Um, and this time is open to anyone. You can come in at any point on Wednesday evening, sometime between 6.30 and 8, and join them in prayer. Be prayed for. Just become a part of that. Uh, is it, a, it is an exciting thing that is going on. All right, on Sundays, like this morning, you're reminded in the service that we have a prayer letter that goes out every week. Um, this is a really practical way to engage in praying for your church family, for this church family. Uh, Praises and prayer requests are shared in that letter. And remember that you can share something that's on your heart this way and know with confidence that there are many Chapel Hill people who will be praying for you. Um, If you're not currently receiving that prayer letter and you'd like to start receiving it, well, there's just two things I want you to know. Um, First of all, commit to God. If you want to receive that prayer letter, if you are receiving it, commit to God that you will pray for those things. You will pray for those people. Um, That is the purpose of this. And secondly, make a note on your connection card or on our website where we connect um, that you would like to start receiving the prayer letter. Um, We are always open and ready to having more people um, join here in how we pray together. Okay. Also in your bulletin uh, is an amazing offer from Rich and Caroline Picconi. Many of you know who they are. They have a place in Wisconsin, not two hours from here that they are making available to anyone who would like a place to take a free prayer retreat or silent retreat. They're offering up their place. This is really generous. You can simply let them know, and their contact information is in your bulletin, uh, and they will arrange something with you. Um, And I know personally that taking time to focus on God in prayer is infinitely valuable, and it sometimes requires stepping out of our daily lives so that we can focus on him And deepen that union with him. So take advantage of that as well. There will be more opportunities to pray that we present here in the near future. Because this is all a follow-up of what we're doing in this series. It's just getting this church praying more and more. Getting this church drawing closer to each other and to God through prayer. Uh, We have a growing prayer ministry and a team that is working on growing this. This is part of a maturing process as a church. Um, So how can we be praying for and with each other? Speaking of which, we have been given some great guidance in this area, and that's what I want to spend the rest of my time up here looking at. So turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1. Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote a number of letters to churches and individuals 
that thankfully were preserved for us in the Bible. We have access to those things, and that is a great privilege. In those letters, we have some clear and, for many of us, inspirational guidance regarding how we can be praying for each other. Let's just agree together on something. God's people should be praying for each other, right? That is a given. We should be doing that. That's why we make things like our connection card available. And we have certainly seen how God faithfully hears and responds to our prayers as a church and as individuals in his time and in his way. But he's there and he responds to this. So what does Paul give us to work with? Well, we're going to start with his letter to the church in a city called, called Philippi. And then we're going to look at something that connects almost all of his letters at the end. We'll focus here on verses 3 to 11 in the first chapter of Philippians. All right, Philippians 1, verses 3 to 11. Here's what he writes. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, Always in every prayer of mine for you all. This is almost like it was written by a Texan because he uses you all multiple times in this passage. Always in, my, in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's when Christ returns. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, there it is again, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. All right, pause with me for a moment. Let's pray. God, I just want to to take a a minute here just to ask you to open up right now, to open up our hearts and our minds to what you're saying to us through this passage. I thank you for the privilege of being able to freely, at any time, open the Bible and allow you to speak through it. So God, I ask that you would do just that. I ask that you would remove all distractions right now and just bring us to that point where we're listening for what you have for us in this brief passage. Um, Lord, may your will be done through the words that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. Accomplish this in us right now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. This brief passage is so rich. And yes, you may have heard me say that a hundred other times about passages in the Bible, that they are so rich. As we work through it, I want you to look for Paul's perspective. Okay, it's easy to see how does Paul view his brothers and sisters in the church? What does Paul ask for on their behalf? Things like that. Be looking for that. 
In verse 3, Paul starts, as he typically does, with thanksgiving. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Then verse 4 basically dogpiles on verse 3, where he says, Always, in every prayer of mine for you all. Okay, think about Paul's history if you know it. Who was Paul before this? Followers of Jesus were once his enemies. He would round them up, arrest them, and imprison them. He would even give his consent to their execution. Contrast that perspective with every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. And here's what this does for me, and maybe it does this for you as well. Paul's words, which I believe come from a sincere heart, he was not bluffing with this, Paul's words make me really uncomfortable. Every time I think of you, what happens? Do I give thanks for all of you? Or is that sentiment reserved only for those of you who agree with me on everything? Do I give thanks just for those of you who have complimented me for something that I've done? Maybe I only give thanks for those of you who have invested in my kids' lives as they've grown up. Or am I truly giving thanks for all of you? God's family has represented in my life whenever you come to mind. I love how God sometimes gives us extremes when he's teaching us. Paul is an extreme. He hated the church. He hated followers of Jesus to the point of serious persecution. Now, I've never persecuted followers of Jesus like this for being followers of Jesus. Yet Paul now loved them to the point of giving thanks for them every time he thought about them. So what exactly is my excuse for not giving thanks for all of you every time I think of you? I appreciate this church more than you can possibly know. What I'd like to do based on what we've just read is adopt Paul's perspective. In fact, I'd like all of us to adopt Paul's perspective and Paul's practice. What kind of impact do you think it might have on this church if we gave thanks for each other, for all of us, every time we think of this church family? There's our first challenge. Well, in verse 5, Paul quickly explains why he's giving thanks for the church. This is really helpful. We all need motivation, and he provides it. And this should be motivating for us. Paul says that he gives thanks for the church whenever he thinks of them because of their partnership in the gospel. Let's expand that a bit. It sounds a little too Christianese. Why am I thankful for this church family? Well, truthfully, you are my eternal family. We are, for each other, 
our eternal family. You are my family forever, and that means that you are my family right now. We are partners in life forever. I will spend all of eternity together with those whom God has adopted along with me, and I am grateful, not as much as I should be, for that reality and for that family, for you. Part of the gospel is the message of adoption. And you and I share that message. We have been adopted by God our Father. And I appreciate you for saying yes to Jesus and for surrendering your life to him and to his family. You represent the kingdom of God with me and I am thankful for that. You and I together represent that kingdom. No single one of us can fully represent God's kingdom alone. We can't. God uses his people as a reflection of his kingdom. And I appreciate that you do that with me, that we're part of that together. I'm grateful for you because you can reach people that I can't. I don't live in your neighborhood. I don't work where you work. I don't go to school where you go to school. I have my circle of influence and you have your circle of influence and together we're partnering in sharing God's light into those circles and I appreciate that. You and I also share in the life of God together. You, church, are evidence to me of God's faithfulness. As I witness what God's doing in your lives, I am encouraged constantly to look for what he's doing in mine. And when it doesn't seem like God's doing anything in mine, I can easily look around and be reminded that God is faithful to his family. You are reminders to me of the power of the gospel and how it transforms lives. And I appreciate that. Your partnership in the gospel is worth giving thanks for whenever I think of you. And we're starting to see what Paul sees now and understand why he's giving thanks and why we should be giving thanks for each other. Practically speaking, Paul could even recall some acts of kindness that came his way from the people that he used to hate. In Acts 16, we see Lydia offering hospitality to Paul. She was moved by the gospel and responded in appreciation to Paul. Later in that same chapter, we meet the jailer who was on duty when God sent an earthquake to release Paul and Silas from prison. That prison guard ended up taking Paul into his home and cared for him. The church sent gifts to Paul to take care of his needs, both in Thessalonica and Corinth. He had all this evidence. Paul was grateful for the church for many reasons. And it makes me realize I have many reasons to be thankful for the church. And so do you. All right, then in verse 6, we find a stunning bit of perspective that I hope sinks in for every single one of us. When Paul considered the church, he saw what we all need to see. Paul saw that God was doing something in the lives of the believers. And with great confidence, Paul declared that God would finish what he started in them. 
when we're adopted into God's family, God begins the work of transformation in us. God goes to work, completing us by transforming our minds, our hearts, our wills. God promises to finish that transformation. So when we think about each other, do we see that? When I think about you, am I immediately reminded that God will complete the work that he started in each one of you? Or am I pretty sure that you're, you're going to be this flawed, often messy individual for all of time? I would love for you to see when you look at me that God is working and he will finish his work in me. Guaranteed, he will finish his work in me when Jesus comes back. And I would love to see that when I look at you. God's power will prevail in every one of our lives. We can't do this transforming ourselves, but God can God is and God will. And that's how we're to see each other. Verse 7. Verse 7 is more than a Hallmark card message. I hold you in my heart. God's family was Paul's purpose. He loved them. He served them. He sacrificed for them. He made decisions for their sake. And that love was reciprocated. Remember that Paul had been thrown in prison for his faith. He was on a hit list. Associating with Paul was risky. But the church willingly associated with him. They'd go to prison with him. The fact that they shared his burden for the lost was a direct confirmation of the gospel for Paul. This was real and true to all of them. The church was Paul's evidence. They were his defense before those who wished him dead. Paul knew he was doing what God God called him to do because he saw God working in all of them. Just think about that for yourself. Have you ever, have I ever considered, have you ever considered yourself as evidence for the gospel in someone else's life? Are your brothers and sisters an encouragement to you that the gospel of Jesus is true? Are we thanking God for each other because this is just one of the things that we provide for each other? Um, I wasn't kidding. This is a rich passage. There's so much transformational material here. So then there's verse 8. And this hits me hard. Paul loved the church with the affection of Jesus Christ. And he meant that. Otherwise, there's no way he would have stated that God was his witness. Galatians 5.22 describes the work that God's Spirit does in us, what he produces in our lives, and love tops that list. Paul loved the church. They mattered to him. He mattered to them. Verse 9 zooms in on Paul's request for the church. He asked God to make their love abound 
He asked God to make our love abound. Remember that Paul was just was, was the one who wrote that without love, we're nothing. We're just noise. Paul asked for knowledge and all discernment. What was Paul ultimately asking for? He was asking that God would fill them with his spirit to where his attributes would flow out of them. Love, knowledge, and discernment. There's our list of prayer requests for each other. Why ask for those things for the church? So that the church can focus on what God desires them to focus on. Paul asks that they would be able to set their minds and hearts on what God deems excellent. God's will, God's vision, God's mission, love, understanding, and discernment would help the church see what God wants them to see. That would set them on the track that God had designed for them. It's a great request and something that we can certainly pray for in each other's lives. The last part of Paul's request focuses on the presence and power of Jesus in the lives of his followers. Paul's asking for God to fill them with the fruit of righteousness. A couple of good reference points for this. When Paul talks about fruit... Think Galatians 5.22 again. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Righteousness means that things are the way that they're supposed to be. And the only way things can truly become the way they're supposed to be is through the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. We simply must pray Jesus into each other's lives. And God will get the glory for what happens there. Paul presented us with prayer's partner in this amazing passage. And that partner is thanksgiving. Praying for each other in God's family means praying with thanksgiving. We're going to look into that more next Sunday. Meanwhile, go back and read this passage a few more times. Let it be a guide for your prayers every time you think about this family. Let's appreciate each other the way Paul taught us to appreciate each other. We have a lot to be thankful for. We have much to pray for. And this passage alone, honestly, could keep us praying without ceasing. Let's pray together now, and then our worship team is going to come and lead us in a closing song. Before I pray, I just invite you to say to God, God, give me Paul's perspective. God, teach me to pray for this church the way that Paul prayed for the church. Show me what you want me to see. Help me to see this church the way you see this church, God. Father, we lay ourselves before you this morning asking that your will is accomplished in our lives. We ask for transformation of our mind, transformation of our heart, 
transformation of our will. Father, conform us to your will, to the will of Jesus Christ. Bring the power of your spirit right to the surface in our lives. Create in us that fruit that comes with the presence and power of your spirit. Fill us with your, your love for each other. Fill us with thanksgiving for each other. Father, I pray that this work, this short passage that we've looked at today, that this very thing would be accomplished in our midst. That as a church, collectively, we could say that every time we think about this church family, we give thanks. And we're filled with joy. Because not only is that the way Paul saw the church, it's the way you see your church. The bride of Jesus Christ. So God, teach us to pray for each other in this way. And I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, your son. Amen.